Hey, Nora. Hey, Sandy. Um, I saw a tweet of yours this week that um, that just like got me going. I was like, yes, Nora. I don't know if oh. we've like spoken about this before, but I was like, yes, have been thinking about this for years. Don't understand. Okay, I can't wait. Can you guess which tweet it was? Uh, no, I, I do. Do you know how many random tweets that I put out in a day? Like, it's just impossible for me to keep track of it. Yeah, that's why this is fun. Like, I wouldn't be able to play, play this game with literally anyone else. Okay. Um, was it me calling Bob Ray Boob Ray? Because that's very funny to me. No, but we should talk about Bob Ray this this episode. So let's put a pin in that. Okay. Um, if it wasn't Bob Ray, uh, was it... Um, was it a tweet about my... I love the idea that you like that you tweet out your brain and then just leave it, leave it there on the internet. It's gone forever. Yeah, folks, that's called self-care. That's called living out loud. <laughs> was it, um, was it the, the dream that my kid had about being uh, locked up in the royal family's house inside of a vending machine? Why would I bring that up? That's pretty interesting <laughs> no. stuff. No, I didn't see it. Don't care. One, one last guess. Okay. Inside a vending machine? Yeah, isn't that really funny? Like, with the royal family in a vending machine, just waiting for someone to, like, buy him. Like, all of them were in the in the vending machine? Just the one kid having the dream. Okay. Yeah, no, it wasn't that one. Um, <laughs> next, final. Okay, so for the listeners, there's a, t- there's a ton of pauses edited out of this because I literally can't think of anything else that I tweeted. Let me, let me give you one more. Hmm. Was it the amazing action that we had, the parents had outside of our school where we tied hearts to the fences to say that we support our teachers in their negotiations right now? No, but that's amazing. I love that. It was a great little action. It was so nice. It was right before school. Parents and, and kids alike were like all at the fence, tying up this ribbon and this thread to try to make hearts. It was a really great little action. And then it was done within 10 minutes. That's so sweet. No, that's not it. it. You made a tweet about like, why the hell lawyer services aren't public? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And the responses were kind of like, what? Okay. Um, oh, I didn't see the responses. So boo for the responses. But like, oh, my God. Yeah. Like, I've been thinking about this for years. Like, it, you know, realized uh, somewhat early on that in any sort of adversarial po- process, like that's legal, whoever has the most money wins. Right. Which <laughs> which makes it obvious that the whole thing should be public. Right. Like everybody should have the same access to um, to an advocate who's going to advocate on their behalf. And I, I just feel so like, I think it's weird that there isn't like a, a concerted public, um, campaign around this or, or effort. It's like one of those things that like confirms for me that we've run out of creative ideas or run out of, you know, like, uh, principles just generally. But if anyone's like working on that, <laughs> let me know because it sh- it's like, it just feels like one of those really obvious things that should be public. Yeah. And you can see just kind of like how brain poisoned we all are by neoliberalism. Cause a lot of people responded to say like, oh, I don't think we want the state funding that, or the state already has so many barriers in place. Why would we want the state to pay for legal services too? And it's like, uh, folks, we are the state. I mean, (laughs) that's supposed to be how this works is we are supposed to be the state. And you can make the same argument. One person said, well, if it was publicly funded, people would just launch lawsuits all the time at one another. And it's like, you can make the same argument with people going to the hospital or, 
you know, getting, getting their doctor to see them, like just doing it all the time. Right. No, like we'd have to build a new system. It's utopic. It's cool. It's like on the same track as real estate agents, they all should be state employees as well. All of them. And I don't understand why we don't have that conversation, but anyway, there you go. Some thoughts. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's, you know, like, it, it just feels like super, super obvious. It's like, it, there would be more lawsuits, maybe people would be fairer <laughs> in the way that they interact yeah. with one another, because they know that anyone can take them to court instead of banking on the fact that some people are just going to be too poor to do it. So there's that. But yeah, anyway, I just wanted to, to point that out. Thanks for doing that. How are you doing? How, thanks for thinking about that and tweeting about it and leaving it on the floor forever. Yeah. <laughs> How are you brain. doing? <laughs> I'm good. I was I was in the QP National Convention all last week. And um, it was in Quebec City, which is kind of like a blessing and a curse. A blessing because, of course, I get to sleep in my own bed and it's right up the street for me and it's easy to get to. A curse in that, like, I'd have to go from talking to delegates instantly into my life as a parent and get kids to these places and make supper and all this stuff. So it was tough. But I got to see a lot of people. So shout out to everybody that I met at the convention. I would name you all, but there were actually quite a few people uh, that were fans of the show that were excited to meet. And then, of course, oh, shout out to folks that just missed it and didn't get a chance to meet. Uh, I know that there were a couple people that also that happened to you. And Sandy, I don't know if you saw but they passed a very good motion uh, in support of Palestine. I did see. I did see. It's excellent. So that was nice. And we'll talk a little bit more, uh, I think, in this episode about that kind of those public shows of support, which are really, really important. Of course, Keeping National is Canada's largest union, so it's not insignificant, especially considering the silence around uh, Palestine from groups like the Canadian Labour Congress, which has said nothing, um, shamefully, I think. Um, but yeah, I had, a, I had a great week. It was really tiring. Uh, you know, thousands of people in from all over Canada in my own city. So lots of suggestions of where to go and eat and what to do. It was nice. How are you? How was your week? My week was pretty good. I spent uh, most of it uh, finishing up one of the chapters of the book that I'm writing on policing. And it's just like, you know, I'm, I this chapter was about reform. And so, uh, you know, I'm just thinking about all the futility of reform and how frustrating it is. And some of the like bizarre shit that I learned um, through some of this research, which, you know, I'm like excited to share with the world, but also like am drowning in despair for like all that body camera stuff. They're they're like outfitting all the body cameras with like facial recognition technology. <laughs> it's like oh, becoming what? a massive surveillance tool for the police. And it's just like, yeah, there's no way to win this, but to reduce the power of police, everybody that's. In conclusion, <laughs> like every page of this of this book will be dripping with that conclusion. Oh, I, that's that's so exactly something I butt up against as well in my own writing. And when you're like saying these reforms may be good, they might be good, and then you're like, but think about them for about five minutes, and you're like, wait a minute, every reform within society as it is is so insufficient and unless we decenter the role of profit and corporations in our decision making in our economy in our society it'll always be bad it will always be bad but you know it's not bad gratitude Yes, we have a lot of gratitude to give out this week. So thank you to everybody that has donated to the show uh, through the Patreon. That's patreon.com slash Sandy and Nora, especially this week. Thanks to Mark, Sophie, LJ, Rafaela, Jackie, Stephanie, LWJ, 
Elizabeth and Krishna. Thank you so much for your support. Thank you so much. And you know what else doesn't suck, Nora? Mm, is it cold and kind of flat? Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Winnipeg doesn't suck. Winnipeg, Winnipeg doesn't, suck. doesn't suck. That's right. I like Winnipeg and I like that we are going to Winnipeg. It is one fine city and we are going to be there on Friday, November 24th. We're going to be at the West End Cultural Center, which is also an amazing space, I understand. And we are bringing along our friend and musician, John Camille Farah. So get your tickets at thepointofsale.com. Search Sandy and Nora live in Winnipeg. You'll find your tickets there. And it's going to be super fun. So bring everybody you know introduce people to the pod. We're going to hang out. We're going to have, make some memories, have some fun, feel some warmth, just as the sun's getting even less and less visible in, uh, over the skies of this, of this country. And, um, and don't delay, get your tickets right away. So excited to see you all and meet you all. So Nora, I mean, I think, uh, this week it it hasn't, it's not much different than the, the last, uh, the last couple of other weeks in this month. And I know we're probably going to be talking about um, Palestine today, but there are a a few other things that we should probably mention uh, before we get into that. Yeah. Yeah. One of which is, uh, did you see this news about the, you know, like, uh, as as I'm starting to say this, I'm feeling like the existential dread uh, creep up in my body, the way you can kind of feel it, but the... Um, the Antarctic ice sheet news. Did you see this? No, I haven't seen this. So there's a, there's a particular really important ice sheet in Antarctica that was uh, projected to, we were going to be projected to be able to save if we could, you know, keep uh, emissions under, I believe it was uh, 1.5 or temperature rise below 1.5 degrees Celsius. And there's been some new, Uh, projections around this and it turns out it is impossible to save scientists are now saying it will melt uh, completely which will lead to some catastrophic sea level rise which you know uh i uh, you know as 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 this week has been going on as the last couple weeks as this month has trudged on i'm just kind of (sighs) like We, we have to take over our governments or <laughs> just bring them down. It's just like, it's, this is, this is we're, we're watching in so many ways in so many different arenas, like uh, humanity fail. And, um, it's like, you know, it's the people who were being governed by are completely captured by like the magic of money. And it just doesn't make any sense that we, have known about this being an issue that we have had the ability to make the changes that we would need to make to, to solve the issue. And we just didn't, we just watched. And it it feels that like, you know, like it's a similar issue as what's going on, um, with, with the, with the war. Um, and I'm like with the wars, uh, let's say, uh, cause I'm, I'm sure we're going to talk about another war today. Um, and I just, you know, I'm just like, (laughs) fuck, we're at this point, like, uh, you know, like the, the, the desperation has to be high enough for us to take, 
really serious action. Yeah. Yeah. And I like how you're like floating out there, not saying what, um, and a lot of people are grappling with this right now. How do we get our politicians to change their direction when the connection between voters and politicians has been so poisoned by market capture, by the control of corporations. And it's, I think it's something that Canadians don't really understand because it is so present and so everywhere that it's hard to see it. Like we're just floating in this filth all the time. And I've been finding that in my talks, um, you know, I get the chance to talk to union groups and other groups all over the country and all the time. And I just, last week I had the pleasure of speaking to a group uh, with OPSU, the public sector union in Ontario. And I was supposed to be talking about healthcare and hospitals and what COVID kind of demonstrated or, or, or hid or whatever. And I end up spending much more time talking about the fundamentals, which is like, you know, we can, we can talk about stopping privatization and we should, privatization is bad. But if we're not actually naming how private things actually are in society, then we're having a conversation that actually doesn't go anywhere, that doesn't meet people where they are materially at. And it will always lead to dead ends that politicians can sidestep or ignore because they have there's absolutely nothing that is forcing Justin Trudeau to listen to what we're saying unless we threaten him directly. And we've lost a lot of the tools and the knowledge to know even how to threaten the guy directly or to go after a Doug Ford or to go after a Scott Moe. And of course, there's like, you know, there's examples of fighting back that will that that can that can bring a government to its to, to heal to some extent. And I think we might see that a little bit in Quebec as the, the front commun, the common front uh, of, of public sector unions are going on strike, are really pushing against this government for the first time since the government was elected in 2018. Um, you know, my teachers, my kids' teachers, they're going to be on strike on November 6th. It's super exciting. Um, but that they will likely be able to push Lego in certain directions because there still is a bit more of that connection between the voter and the politician in Quebec. But I, you know, I know that folks in Saskatchewan are really, really worried that they're not going to be able to convince Scott Moe out of making, um, you know, after going after trans children. The fight over the Canada pension plan and the Alberta pension plan is so interesting in Alberta that, you know, it's it's nerd stuff. So don't if you don't have any space in your brain for nerd stuff, don't worry about it. But, you know, the idea that Alberta could pull out of the Canada pension plan and go it alone is like very funny. But Danielle Smith is really, really trying to do it. And so to see how like what will stop her is going to be the corporate world. It's not going to be popular mobilization because the corporate world's going to be the one going, whoa, whoa, we need stability in the markets. What the hell are you doing? Like this doesn't make any sense. Um, but that might be a, an example where we can see some of the cracks in in terms of the, 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 the business consensus around what, you know, stabilizes and upholds our politicians. But my God, I mean, like it does, it feels so desperate. It feels like all we can do is get into the streets and protest. And I mean, we should be doing that. But we also know that that's not going to be what changes the mind of Justin Trudeau. No. And, you know, Nora, I've been thinking a little bit about um, uh, one of the things we talked about on our uh, podcast uh, last week, was, which was like a suggestion that perhaps now is the time to think about a new party. Like, I can't help but think, like, with, with all of the the ways that the 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 parties in in Canada are struggling to be irrelevant on any issue 
that is super relevant, <laughs> like, like, you know, falling over themselves to try to, to, to not talk about it in the way that people are talking about it on the streets or in the way that people are thinking mm. about it every day. I'm just like, gosh, I don't think it would take a lot actually to create another party like <laughs> that, that spoke to, um, the, the, the real issues that people are experiencing and, you know, like, isn't like, you know, uh, here's a rebate of $150 folks or like, you know, we're, we forced Loblaws to give you $10 back or whatever the fuck that's something that's going to be real. Like, I, I don't think it would take that much to do that. So, um, gosh, like it just, just, an, just another thought, just putting out thoughts, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thoughts to orient people towards doing these things. But, you know, we have to be clear eyed about why we do them, too, because if the goal is to form, let's say, a new party to take over the Ontario government, I mean, that's not that's not how it works. And I think that there's a lot of misunderstandings of how things actually do work. You know, I was talking with folks at the convention last week about how it feels like we're just so unserious on the left. Like, we're serious. We care about things. We're organized. We're people that have skills or whatever. But to actually build something that is serious and credible is is not easy. And we've lost a lot of the skills. And we've certainly lost a lot of the knowledge and how to do that. And one of the things that made me despair a little bit was I, I, I heard from somebody who was saying that they understood that, you know, the anti-war movement, for example, you know, it was a failure. And the anti-war movement was a failure in 2002 and 2003. And that led to this massive demoralization around organizing against the war because no one stopped the war through these massive demonstrations that happened in those years. And so the person saying this to me was young, younger, um, and so wasn't like around at that time. This is, this is the knowledge that they've gotten from other people. And it was like, holy Christ, like that could not be m more wrong, actually. Like, yeah, to, de to describe it as a failure is like uh, such a what? No. <laughs> right. It was like the massive mobilizations that happened in Canada, across Canada on, on, in 2002, plus other tactics that people took, including tactics through the NDP, because the NDP had a little bit more, um, well, people organized within the NDP and forced the leadership to, to be good on, on issues of anti-war kept Canada out of Iraq. It kept Canada out of Iraq and it kept Canada from expanding our presence in Afghanistan. And so, you know, we, we and, have but to... But also, like, the, the worldwide movement was so successful that it not only... It, it's not just Canada that was kept out. There were other countries that would have typically stood next to, to the United States that did not. And also the way that we understand those wars today uh, are in part because of the, the, the fight back and the resistance that people organized in the anti-war movement at that time. That's right. That's right. Not to not to mention all the skills that you learn from from doing that. Like this is how we become serious as we understand things about how they work and how to organize and how to get out huge, huge numbers of people. So, you know, people we shouldn't despair. And when we're looking at at Palestine, it is so easy to fall into nihilism and we we can't. Right. Palestinians are still alive. They're they're fighting for their lives. They're there. And are we going to stop Justin Trudeau from making a decision tomorrow? Probably not. But can we stop him from making a decision in three months? Can we actually stop him from rerunning? Yes, absolutely we can. And as you say, Sandy, like there are, there are, there's a global movement. And when you see 500,000 people in London protest against what is happening in Palestine, like that is a sea change. That is a sea change. You know, 20,000 people in Montreal, I wouldn't say that that's a sea change. That's a very, very excellent demonstration of the support of Palestinian people 
I've seen, I've seen people say that it's like the largest that's ever happened, which I don't doubt. That's amazing. That's important. And the poll, the, the global polls are all shifting right now. And we need to be very clear eyed about forcing conversations within the media that, that media does not want to have and confronting politicians like people are. I mean, Trudeau is now being confronted wherever he goes, which is so important. And the same has to be done for Polly Ever. And the thing, same thing has to be done for Singh. Yeah, because we are like what this is right now is we are marching towards war. We are seeing the um, the different uh, uh, countries in the world and the statements that they're making, how they're acting, even their their uh, their machinations at the UN, which perhaps we should talk about, even though the UN continues to kind of be useless. It's like uh, what countries are saying there is is a signal to us about what countries are willing to do should this war escalate. And so, you know, we we need to be prepared for an anti-war movement um, that is going to to not only stop what's happening right now and to make it unpopular um, with all of our uh, different governments, but that is going to be looking into the to the future of how where this could go, and um, making sure to make it impossible in terms of popularity for our for our governments to just easily walk into. Um, a war and activating our military. Yeah. Okay. So let's back up. The last two years has been dominated. International politics discussions in Canada have been dominated by Canada eagerly, gleefully cheerleading on a war. And that war uh, is, is the result of aggression from Russia. That's a war that Russia could have stopped, didn't have to start. Like, you know, it's their fault. And the way Canada and our politicians have oriented ourselves towards that war is that Canada has to do everything possible to help the people of Ukraine to fight Russia. And so we've given them billions of dollars, billions and billions of dollars and and arms, weapons, armored vehicles. We've opened our borders to allow as many people as possible to come and to immigrate here or, or stay here temporarily. And tons of material support for what's going on in Ukraine. At the same time, Canadians have been primed to understand that that is, it, that is a, an unjust invasion, a territorial theft. Uh, people have called it a genocide, which, I mean, they're not trying to kill all Ukrainians. I think we can now see Palestine. All of a sudden, there's like a, quite a difference in how these things are, are, are talked about and, and, and how, they, how they happen. Um, but with this priming of us to accept war and accept violent aggression as the only way to stop Russia from getting away with murder or from being a bully or from whatever ridiculous words that people are saying. Looking back, wow, now Palestine is very different, very, very different different in the minds of our politicians. Mm -hmm. And we're being told to understand it differently. Now, what the fuck is that all about? I mean, the this, the issues are quite similar. We're talking about people who are uh, who are trying to eject, uh, uh, who are trying to reject colonization of their land, uh, annexing of their land, and I I don't know, like, what is the difference? Why would how could Canada um, both uh, be be so um, staunch at in their uh, in their support uh, military support of Ukraine and yet 
And yet, uh, so staunch in their support of Israel um, that at the uh, UN vote, the what was this, the third attempt at the vote, uh, that Canada would not support the vote without an abstention that it led, that failed, um, that that mentioned, uh, that, that had some words put into it about... Uh, support for Israel. Like, okay, so Canada is embarrassing, right? And and a lot of us grew up thinking that you put a Canadian patch on your backpack and you go to Europe and people no longer think you're American and they treat you really well. Certainly if you go to Holland, that's true. <laughs> it's totally true. Um, and we were, we were grown up to, to think about Canada as the peacekeeping nation. That was like the, you know, like the, the PR of the day of the 90s, that Canada was uh, a peacekeeping force uh, f- uh, around the world. Yeah. Yeah. Don't, don't look up the Somalia affair or the Somalia inquiry or anything that we did nope. in Haiti or any of that or Afghanistan. Oh the God. real stuff. The real stuff. Yeah. And so, you know, here we are now carrying water for Israel and like, let's, let's remind ourselves what Israel is doing here. The, the leadership of the country are fascists. I think that, you know, they, that is an objectively true statement, or at the very least, fascistic. They have fascistic tendencies. They're talking about wiping Palestine off the map. They're talking about murdering everybody who lives there. They want to capture the land, right? We, we, we know this. They have dropped 16,000 tons of, of munitions on Palestine on a very tiny part of the world, the most densely populated part of the world, one of the most densely populated parts of the world. And Canada, like as if it's, as if it's the, the Holy Trinity of the Catholic church, where you always have to start with God, the father, God, the son, and the Holy spirit, Canada must always, always, always start by acknowledging the pain that Israel experiences in all of its conversations, which is like so embarrassing. (laughs) So embarrassing when we look at the seven, more than 7,000 people who've been killed by Israel and the lack of power that hasn't been on for more than a week, the lack of food, the lack of water, the lack of internet communications, the murdering, the targeted murdering of journalists and their families, the, the, the refusal to allow uh, aid, obviously, because they're the ones bombing them. Why would they allow aid in, right? In Canada, in our absolute patheticness, standing on the global stage saying, Wait, 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 we got it. But we got to also say Israel is, uh, is a victim in this. And then global leaders look at us and are like, who's this guy? What the hell is this? This is a joke. Who is this joke fool, uh, Bob Ray, fucking fool, man? The hell is this? It's amazing. It's like we're watching our, like, our, our, our stock just like plummet, our like goodwill stock in the world plummet in real time. And um, not that it's ever should have been as high as it ever as it ever was, but it is it is something to see like, wow, we fucking suck. Yeah, we totally suck. Um, And there's other things that have just been like enraging me as as this has been going on, like uh, the the way that Canada has um, interacted, the 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 joining of Canada in the few countries who were like doing an investigation of the Al-Ahli, apologies if I pronounce that incorrectly, Al-Ahli hospital bombing. It's like the one, the fervor over this uh, to me just like was just so, so outrageous that like 
uh, well, we got to make sure we figure out exactly who bombed this particular hospital as all the eight bombs continue to fall and all the people continue to be killed. We, we really got to figure this one out because it's going to tell us it's going to tell us something about, you know, who, who who's the real uh, enemy here. It's like, oh, my gosh. And then Canada then coming out and saying, you know, because of our intelligence, our intelligence, which is just, you know, American intelligence and uh, whoever the fuck else, Israel intelligence, um, saying that, oh, we have determined that that, 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 uh, you know, the U.S. said it too, that that um, bomb uh, came from, from, uh, from Hamas, came from within the Gaza Strip. And like watching even the New York Times, which is like a, a, not the source uh, right now for, for this, uh, for this conflict, like not a reliable source. Even the New York Times being like, yeah, not, we did some investigating of our own, not possible for that to come from, from within uh, the Gaza Strip. I believe Canada's announcement came after that, that uh, reporting came out. It's just like so ridiculous. It's so outrageous. Like, can we zoom out for a second? Like, why, why would this be the one thing that matters to you? Look, look at all of the shit that Israel itself is saying to prime people um, to, to accept that many, many, many civilians will die. It is literally putting out weird, like, infographics to say, look underneath this hospital, this, uh, this uh, animation that we have created underneath this hospital that proves that this is where we need to bomb next. Like Israel is saying that on their own. Like, I, I don't know why we need to be um, uh, especially concerned about this one particular thing, unless like we are like so convinced of our own propaganda, being able to, to confuse people into thinking that what people, that many people, 7,000 people, and probably far more deserve to die, deserve to be starved, deserve not to have access to the aid that people are trying to give, that all the UN workers deserve to die, that all the journalists deserve to die, that all the, like, sorry, what is the point? What are you saying here, Canada, with your engagement on this? And how do you say it at the same time that you have primed this country uh, to support Ukraine? It's so interesting because, you know, both of us have taken a lot of shit for saying that a military solution in response to Russia is a bad idea. It's not going to solve anything. It's just going to lead to death. And it's, it's funny because I haven't seen anyone credibly say, like, you know, we need to bomb the fuck out of Israel. Like, that's the only way that's going to stop this is to just invade Israel and bomb them. And I think that that would be not a good idea. I think that would be a disaster. That would that would also accelerate the death tolls. Um, and I, I don't know if it's like the size of, of the, the scale that we're talking about here, because Israel and Palestine are so much smaller physically than like the border between Russia and Ukraine. Obviously, there's racism involved in this. I mean, that's that's so obvious, 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 obvious that we haven't mentioned that probably because it's so obvious. Um, 
but but like how 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 is it that the logic works for Ukraine and it doesn't work for Palestine? And this is where you see the logic naked laid bare that it actually has nothing to do with peace, as we have been saying for a long time. It's about arms industry. It's about our our interests as a country. It's about our our political allies. We're we're very closely allied to the United States and to Israel. And we will do anything to protect Israel because of the connections and allyship that we've built. That's all this is. And when it comes to Ukraine, it's the same thing. We will do everything to protect Ukraine because we have a Ukrainian nationalist in like as the deputy prime minister. And she has oriented Canada's entire war machine to do everything to defend Ukraine with the borders that that they believe Ukraine should have. And absolutely nothing will back them down from um, from from fighting over it. It doesn't matter how many civilians will die because the borders are more important. Um, and those are fundamental differences in how and how to understand international conflict. Right. Like. If civilians don't matter, then of course you're going to do a ground campaign. Of course you're going to uh, commit uh, armored vehicles and, and, and munitions and all this stuff that's, that's horrible and that's going to lead to people dying because it's the borders that matter. And in the case of Israel, it's their territory and their existence and their um, and, and their ability to do whatever the fuck they want is more important than Palestinian lives. And, you know, we can say that, you know, settler states stick together. And obviously that's true. But it's, it's actually much more profound than that. It isn't just that settler states stick together. Uh, one of the things that I've been researching in my, my next book is about free trade. And how free trade, uh, you know, we've always had global trade and, and there was global trade systems created in the, in the wake of World War II that, that tried to create relationships between countries to avoid aggression and to avoid conflicts from exploding. Um, that, you know, was this, this tariff-driven trade agreement where countries would, you know, continue to make money off of trade, but then also have relationships with other countries. And so when free trade emerges in the 1980s, there's a push from corporate America uh, led by, you know, people from like American Express to include into free trade, which had just been goods mostly up until then. So just like stuff, the trade of stuff uh, to actually include services into free trade agreements. And this starts to then fundamentally transform our markets to allow for the free trade of services. So everything from insurance to cultural services to education and healthcare is now included in this new free trade agreement, which is the first in the world. And the United States, you know, with its, its, its neoliberal governments, and uh, the corporate world had to pilot these free trade agreements somewhere. And so who do they choose to pilot them with? Well, they choose two countries. They choose Canada and they choose Israel. And so like that helps to remind us that these relationships are very, very, very fundamental and very important. And, and that's why it feels so impossible to change government and media and business leaders' minds in this country to be critical of Israel in the same way that to be critical of the United States is like to be actually critical of the United States is an impossibility. Like Canada cannot actually be critical of the United States. And so that puts us Canadians into a really interesting position in fighting our government just like Americans and fighting their government. And I mean, the Israelis fighting their government, like they have such a huge mountain to climb there for all of the ways that dissent has been de de criminalized and all of that. 
that we have a very important role to play in continuing to demonstrate our support for Palestinians and saying, like, this this does not represent us. Like, the government's positions do not represent us, and violence begets only more violence. That's the only law in all of this, is more violence will beget more violence. And if the if the actual goal is to get rid of Hamas, which, like, obviously that's not the actual goal. The actual goal is to kill all Palestinians and take their land. But if the actual goal was to kill Hamas, the only way you do that is you end the siege, you end the occupation, you end the reason for people to want a militarized resistance organization. And not even the people might not even want that. They haven't voted on that in, in decades. So we're not talking about reality when there's a when we're not allowed to talk about reality because Canadians are being forced to think about this in a very specific way. Now, all of that being true, that doesn't mean that we can't win. And I think, you know, the conversation that you mentioned that you had earlier with the younger activists who thought that um, the the anti-war campaigns of the early 2000s were a failure are like the the... The, the thing that tells us that there's a, there's a way that we can crack this, despite all of those really um, deeply entrenched relationships between our countries that are based on border politics, like all of this is based on um, on on borders. We can have an impact if if those politicians are are brought to heel, if they are never ever allowed to go anywhere without having to answer for how can you support the invasion of Iraq? How can you support uh, Israel's actions, a genocide against Palestinian people? If, if our politicians, who, again, are struggling to remain irrelevant, they don't want to talk about this because they know that they're going to be put in a very difficult place. That is why, you know, like, as, as this war goes on and governments around the world are, like, focused on talking about this, you know, Canada's like, ah carbon tax and like like home initiatives like the reason why those are the things that continue to be talked about right now is because nobody wants to be put in the difficult position that we need to make sure they are put in because we know what happens at that point like there there would be consequences for canada if uh you know on a in terms of its um uh trade relationships its relationships its uh, its relationship with you the us and israel if they were forced to do what was popular if they were forced to listen to all of the hundreds of thousands of people that have been in the streets this is a popular struggle all over the world and we can have an impact on how our politicians engage on this. And I know that because we've done it before. We just need to continue to put their feet to the fire and make sure that they feel deeply uncomfortable wherever they go. And the, the thing is that we have the moral high ground here. They have to, they have, they're the ones who are going to have to answer for supporting genocide. They're the ones who are going to have to do that. And so following them wherever they go and making sure that they never are comfortable with this will force the issue in the House and will force them to make a, a, a decision about how you know they want the next election to go or how they want the next few weeks to go, how they want to be written about, what they want their legacies to be. All of these things, I promise you, they're important to these people. And so uh, making making it so that uh, th their historical legacy is literally shifted um, because they become associated with genocide, that's a, that is going to be a question 
um, that that only kind of has one answer uh, that we need to force upon them. Totally, totally. And, you know, Sandy, you said we're marching towards war this morning. We're recording this on Sunday. Mercedes Stevenson from Global News is reporting that Canada has military presence in Israel, that JTF, Joint Task Force <laughs> 2 military operatives are in Israel. Yeah. And uh, her information says that they are uh, helping to Im- increase security at the embassy. I assume it's the Canadian embassy, uh, which, you know, again, is like, of course, Canadian soldiers would be guarding the Canadian embassy in a hot zone of, you know, let's say war. Um, but this is how it happens. This is how Canada gets involved in these conflicts is through our automatic participation because of JT, JTF2's involvement with the American military. All of a sudden we're there. And this, this happens all the time. And so we have to pay really close attention to see as the IDF in Israel is is gunning for a ground invasion, and this seems like this is, I mean, by the time you're listening to this episode, that could have fully already happened. We know that there have been incursions into northern Gaza. So, I mean, anybody can imagine, as every single night has seemingly been more violent and more explosive and more horrifying. So where we are in two days when you're listening to this episode, I, I don't know. But Canada very well might be more present uh, there. And that is a disaster. And that is directly our money and our, uh, our resources being put towards what is, what is by all accounts, a genocide. 100% is all in all accounts, a genocide. And I mean, I, I also just want to make sure that our listeners are tuned into what's happening, um, on the West bank as well. Uh, the, these atrocities are happening to Palestinians in the West Bank as well. You know, people are being rounded up. There's been violence from from settlers uh, against uh, Palestinian people who are being forced uh, to move. It's like it's I mean, this the atrocities that are happening are impossible to deny and they've been impossible to deny. And so I think um, as we're trying, struggling to figure out what to do, it's like, let's continue to take to the streets. Let's make sure that our politicians, as we said, um, uh, have uh, sleepless nights thinking about uh, what decision making they are going to take. Um, but also let's make sure to continue to look out for actions um, that uh, are are being called for from within. And so some that I saw this week, which I'm not sure if these are still on, as I'm seeing communications are back up in Palestine, but there have been some campaigns to buy eSIMs to provide to to people within Palestine, which is uh, eSIMs are like virtual SIM cards that people can use on their phones. Um, so look out for those types of campaigns uh, as 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 this continues to move forward. You have to be we all have to be tapped into the organizing that's happening locally, but also organizing that is uh, being called for from within uh, the communities who are directly affected on the ground. Totally. And I also just want to make one mention. I've, I've had a couple of people ask like, oh, where should I donate money to? 
I haven't seen any financial requests. I don't know, maybe Sandy, you have, but it seems to me that considering where things are, like there's, there's money's not going to help yet. Money will definitely help when reconstruction happens and when things are uh, less violent. But when people are fleeing for their lives and there's nothing to buy, I, I, I imagine that's why I haven't seen too much um, calls for support for, for finances, you know, maybe look to like, no. And in fact, I've, I've seen a bunch of organizations saying money now is not the time for money. Um, you have to do what you can to support um, uh, your your government's changing their positions. This is the most important thing that you can do. One of the most important things that you can do, even the campaigns to buy eSIMs, the people who are coordinating that are saying, do not send us money. We This is not what we are asking for. We can't um, uh, process that at this point. So I'm not sure about like Doctors Without Borders or organizations like that, if those are, are, are folks who are calling for money, but it seems like mostly um, that's, that is not what's needed. Yeah. So think about occupying your local MP, MPP, city councilor offices, everybody, everybody needs to be feeling this. And that I think is where we need to put our energy. And if there are local meetings called to actually build something in your community, which I know is probably not exactly happening either, because there's just so many calls for, um, for mobilization, for being out in the streets. But if people have a moment to catch their breaths and actually call for organizing meetings to, to, to strategize around, okay, who are the people we can hit in the city and how can we do that? And how do we leverage our collective support? Go to those meetings, like be, be involved in that stuff. And if all you can manage is being out at rallies right now, like that's great too. You know, there can be rallies, there should be rallies in every little corner of this country that doesn't have to be in the major cities. Uh, I know in, in 50 minutes, I'll be at a rally in Quebec City again. And um, things are going to get harder because it's going to be war- uh, colder and, you know, gets darker. And we need to be out there because that that's basically our biggest power right now is forcing this conversation even while journalists refuse to actually really engage in this conversation, and especially as politicians absolutely do not want to have the kind of conversation that the average people do. 